Section 61 of The Mysteries of London, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of London, Volume 3 by George W. M. Reynolds. The Jew's Family. In the meantime, Mr. de Medina had passed a happy afternoon in company with his two daughters and little Charlie Watts. Tamar acquainted her father and sister with the generous conduct of Rainford towards the boy, who was accordingly fetched by a servant from the lodging which he and his adopted mother had recently occupied in the city. Tom Rain's kindness in respect to Charlie made a deep impression upon Mr. de Medina, who had already heard and seen enough to convince him that the seducer of his daughter possessed many good qualities, especially a generosity of disposition which might have made the envy of a monarch. Charlie had been fortunately retained in complete ignorance of the real cause of the protracted absence of him whom he called by the endearing name of father. He was too young to entertain suspicions or misgivings on the subject, and the excuses which Tamar had constantly made to account for that absence had so far satisfied his mind that he entirely believed them, although he pined for the return of Rainford. When he beheld Tamar weep, which was often, very often, he exerted himself to console her, throwing his little arms round her neck, and yet weeping also. Even when Tamar, with the bitterest anguish, arrayed herself in deep black on the awful morning, the results of which she could not have possibly anticipated, she had not the heart to exchange Charlie's coloured garments for the mourning ones which had been prepared for him. No, she threw them aside she had not strength sufficient to place before her own eyes an evidence of the dreadful loss which she deemed herself that hour to sustain the dinner-table at mr de medina's house that day was gayer oh far more gay than usual for a forgiven daughter sat at the board and charlie watts was so happy to see his dear mamma smile once more and to receive the positive assurance that he would meet his papa in a few days that it was delightful to behold his sweet countenance animated with such heartfelt innocent joy the attendance of the servants was dispensed with in order that the conversation might flow unreservedly and mr de medina felt the full amount of that pleasure which consists in pardoning as tamar expressed the ineffable happiness of being by a father pardoned and esther beauteous amiable generous-hearted esther Oh, she was as gay and smiling as she was ever wont to be in her girlhood, ere Tamar's disgrace had carried sorrow into the heart of the family. In the evening, Mr. de Medina bade adieu to his daughters and little Charlie, and departed in a post-chaise for Dover, according to the arrangements already made. That night, when the sisters retired to rest, a touching scene occurred in Esther's chamber, for this amiable girl led Tamar to her drawers, in which she showed her all the music-books and the pictures that had been so religiously preserved then tamar threw herself weeping with gratitude and joy into esther's arms and delicious was the embrace of purest affection in which the sisters clasped each other oh how can i ever repay thee for so much love dearest esther murmured tamar in a tone expressive of her unfeigned sincerity by thinking of me frequently when you are far away replied esther the tears streaming from her eyes as she reflected that they were no sooner reunited than they were about to separate again 
for a long long period perhaps for ever i shall never cease to think of thee my esther answered the elder sister as she now began to set at liberty the shining masses of her rich black hair preparatory to retiring to rest for she was to share esther's bed little charlie being already asleep in an adjoining chamber the door of communication being left open in case he might awake no never shall i cease to think of thee esther repeated tamar for thou hast always manifested so much devoted affection towards me and then too she added casting down her blushing countenance thou hast endured so much for my sake oh have we not agreed that the past is to be forgotten hastily exclaimed esther for a moment desisting from the occupation of laying aside her garments the deeds that are gone should only engage our thoughts when no hope survives for the future and how much hope is there yet for you she added with an emphasis upon the pronoun tamar started and gazed steadfastly upon her sister's countenance for apart from that emphasis which was not unnoticed there seemed something mournful in the sweet liquid tones of esther's voice hope for me exclaimed tamar yes there is hope of happiness for me and for him whom i love so tenderly but you spoke my beloved sister as if there were hope for me alone and that there was none for you ah esther have no secret from me for i will never henceforth refuse you my fullest confidence in the letters which i shall address to you so often so very often esther my sweet sister you love the maiden buried her countenance in tamar's bosom i am not deceived continued the latter yes you love esther and perhaps you are not loved in return but tell me all and i may counsel you esther murmured a name and as she thus whisperingly pronounced it her face was burning in its contact with tamar's bosom so deeply did she blush in the confusion and shame of that confession of virgin love the lord of ellingham cried tamar echoing the name which her sister had breathed alas yes answered esther raising her beauteous countenance still suffused with the rich carnation hues of modesty i can conceal the truth from my own heart no longer but he loves another whom he can never marry added tamar and therefore my beloved sister there is hope for thee can never marry lady hatfield exclaimed esther in a tone of profound surprise rainford assured me that such is the case continued tamar i am not aware of the reason because he did not volunteer an explanation and it never has been my habit to question him respecting affairs on which he has not spoken freely of his own accord but this much i can assure you that lady hatfield and the earl of ellingham will never be united and that they no longer entertain even the idea of such union do not therefore perplex yourself relative to the cause of their severance my darling esther but nourish hope for oh it is delicious to feel love upon the manner of hope and believe me the earl of ellingham already surveys you with so much admiration already entertains so exalted an opinion of your character already looks upon you with such respect that he cannot fail to experience feelings more tender still oh tamar talk not thus i may not listen to thee exclaimed esther with fluttering heart and swelling bosom for model of purity and innocence as she was the words of her sister excited pleasurable sensations within her breast and thus ever is it 
with the most chaste, most virtuous, and most unsophisticated maiden who loves for the first time. Nay, do not compel me to keep silence on a topic which is, which must be, dear to your soul, my Esther, said Tamar. Were human beings to feel shame at loving, there would not be an unblushing cheek in the whole world, save amongst children. Sooner or later, dear sister, every one must feel the influence of that passion which spares no one. Oh, cold and cheerless indeed would this world be, were not the hearts of those who have grown up, and who have cast aside the frivolities of childhood, warmed and irradiated by the beams of love. Feel not ashamed, then, dearest Esther, on account of this passion, which has so imperceptibly stolen upon thee. But after all you have said, Tamar, returned the coy and bashful maiden, I shall not be able to meet the earl again without blushing, and then, were I mad enough to indulge in such a hope as you would have me nourish, remember the difference of our creeds. Was it not the earl himself who suggested the means by which matrimonial rites could be celebrated between his own half-brother and myself? demanded Tamar eagerly. Yes, replied Esther, every feature of her fine aquiline countenance deriving additional charms from the crimson hues which mantled on that splendid face, and spread themselves over her arching neck, her gracefully sloping shoulders, and the rich contours of her virgin bust, which, in the presence of her sister, no invidious drapery now concealed. Yes, Tamar, she replied, but there are other, oh, and far more important considerations. Consider how exalted is the rank of that great nobleman, and consider also, she added in a mournful tone, how much our race is still despised even in this land, which boasts of an almost consummate civilization. The Earl of Ellingham, I feel convinced, despises such absurd, such pitiful prejudices, said Tamar, labouring only to render her sister happy by means of joyous hope. As an enlightened man, he must recognise how deeply his country is indebted, in respect to its wondrous prosperity, to the commercial enterprise and the financial skill of our nation. Moreover, do we not believe in the same God? For the Almighty whom the Christians worship is the same who brought our forefathers out of Egypt, and gave them the promised land. In a word, my beloved Esther, Arthur of Ellingham is too noble-minded, a being, to despise you because you cling to the creed in which you were brought up, and something tells me that my sister is destined to become the Countess of Ellingham. Esther sighed, but made no response. Tamar continued to discourse in the same inconsiderate strain for several minutes. She was actuated by the most generous motives towards her sister, but in the enthusiasm of her affection and gratitude, she forgot that she might only be exciting hopes destined never to receive a fulfilment, and encouraging a passion which, after all, was perhaps doomed to experience the bitterness of disappointment. At length Esther turned towards her and exclaimed hastily, "'Tamar, if you love me, speak on this topic no more. It may be false shame on my part, but it seems to me that it is unmaidenly thus to discourse on a subject in which one, who is separated from me by so wide a gulf, is concerned. Alas, deeply do I regret that, in a moment of weakness, I omitted aloud that which my heart had not hitherto dared to whisper even to itself. I should have exercised more command over myself. Oh, I have been foolish, very foolish, to permit such a thought even to assume the faintest shape in my imagination. But we will abandon the topic. And again I say, Tamar, 
if you love me renew it not there was a minute's pause at the expiration of which esther began to converse gaily and rapidly on tamar's future prospects in the clime to which it was contemplated that herself and rainford were to proceed and the amiable girl communicated to her sister all that she had read concerning the united states of north america this little manoeuvre on the part of esther was to change the topic of discourse and tamar did not attempt to renew a subject which offended the maiden pride of her sister oh happy was tamar to sleep beneath her father's roof that night to know to feel that she was in the parental dwelling again when she awoke once while it was yet dark she fancied that she had been dreaming so strange did all the incidents of the preceding day appear to be so truly incredible but as she stretched out her arms they encountered the form of her sister and then in the silence and obscurity of the night tamar joined her hands and prayed fervently far more fervently than she had prayed for some years past and christian darest thou believe that the prayers of the despised jewess were not wafted with thine own to the throne of the eternal end of section sixty one